0: Shark Week. Biz Women Rock. Bring it on. Episode 82. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. My name is Katie Kremitzos, and I am your host, of this great show that gives you the opportunity to hear stories from amazing business women from all over the world. This week is Shark Week, and to celebrate, we are featuring women who have been featured on Shark Tank. Have you taken your selfie with your shark graphic pictures yet? If you haven't, then be part of the entire Shark Tank, Shark Week on the Biz Women Rock podcast campaign. All you have to do, my God, that was hard to say. (laughs) I ran out of breath. All you have to do is go to bizwomenrock.com. You will get access to all the great pictures that we had made specifically for you and for this entire campaign this week. You can download them. You can take selfies with them. Post them on social media. Tag bizwomenrock. Tag shark tank. Tag shark week. Let's just have such a great, fun time with this and bring these stories to people all over the world. So let's continue with the Shark Tank fun during Shark Week. Today's guest is B. Arthur, who's the founder of Pretty Padded Room, which is basically a telemedicine format that allows people to have access, women specifically, I think it's really made for women, specifically to have access to therapists and to therapy services via their computers instead of having to go in and actually see a therapist. Now, this interview with B was actually featured months ago, but I'm bringing her back for Shark Week because her experience on Shark Tank and her entire story is mind-blowing. So let's get into it.
1: B, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. I'm really excited. I love business women Rocks, so thanks again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you are definitely a businesswoman who rocks. And Ooh. everyone who's listening today is going to find out why. Because you have such an incredible business, a really cool business model, and already some really great experiences. Your business started in 2011. It's called Pretty Padded Room, yeah. and I'm going to let you walk everyone through exactly what that is, but, um, but you have some pretty notable experiences under your belt like Shark Tank and like the fact that you're really sort of in this innovative telemedicine space. And so we're going to get to that, but really what I want to start with is understanding how you even came into the, this business and what sort of experience you had in order to prepare you for this. So what was your hmm. business
1: experience like before you started Pretty Padded Room? Um, yeah, good question. Um, so I don't know if I would consider myself a businesswoman or a, a serial entrepreneur, but this is my second company. And the reason that I came up with the idea for Pretty pad Room was because after my first company failed, I was very depressed and I hadn't told anybody. And even though I'm a therapist by training and all of my friends for the most part are therapists, I didn't want to ask them for a referral and I'm thinking like wow if I am such an advocate for counseling and I'm a therapist myself and there's so many barriers to entry for me to get that help and and also I went back to social work and I had really terrible insurance so I couldn't even afford a therapist if I wanted to so I was just like wow if there's this many barriers to entry for me like for the average person like how can we make it easy because it's such a valuable service so that was my main motivation like I really sat with it because I was still super depressed and I knew you know it could fail again and I knew what that felt like but I woke up one day and I still wanted to do it, and I'm glad I did. What was your business that you had beforehand that didn't do so well? I'm in New York, and I went to grad school at Columbia University. And, but while I was there, I babysat for extra money for a lot of stay-at-home moms on the east side. And What I started to see was that they would always pay me extra. Just to hang out, <laughs> like when when they came back, and I just started noting the loneliness among like stay at home moms, and so I started a social club for stay at home moms called Me Time, and we provided little escapes from your little ones, and I got a brownstone on the Upper East Side, and I had an investor, and right when I graduated, which is when I wanted to launch in two thousand eight, is right when the economy crashed, and the women I was targeting were all the wives of the men who had just been laid off. So my investor, Mariah, said that, you know, we should wait, but I was a cocky 25-year-old and I was like, I'll do it anyway. And you know, no <laughs> money, I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm good. And so, you know, no money, no experience. And of course it failed. So that was really tough though, because, you know, I had never failed at anything. And so it was just a really, really tough time. And, and actually through Pretty Padded Room, I just felt really lonely. I didn't know who to talk to about it. And I just remember reading this article about this place in Japan. We could go and buy plates or cups or whatever and just break them and I just really wanted something like that in that moment just a nice place to go crazy and I just really wanted to let it out so I could move on and I really wanted to change the conversation around therapy because I think so many people think it's for people who don't have friends or people who are weak but I felt really strongly about how I felt and wanting to get ahead of my feelings rather than waiting till I was overwhelmed so I really thought the best way to do that was do it on your own time and in your own space and yeah so we created a platform that allowed for that and yeah it's been really excited a lot of people really get what we're going for.
0: So give everyone an overview of exactly what Pretty Padded Room is, how it functions, what the business model is.
1: Yeah, so Pretty Bad A Room is meant to be, we're trying to make therapy a part of your life and in the same way that your physical health is a part of your life. Most of our dirty secrets are on the internet anyway, so we decided to scale it down, put it online, and put it on a subscription model so it's more sustainable. So rather than $200 a session, you could do it for $200 a month and have as much or as little access to your therapist as you want. We have clients who do their sessions on their lunch break. We also have clients who do it while they're cooking dinner and the option of the digital diary, which is trademarked. And we're actually one of the only online therapy companies that does that. And we offer written consultations. So you don't even need an appointment. You can just write in your journal at any time and your therapist writes back the same day to help you sort it out. So it's really cool so
0: telemedicine is not a new concept and my next question was really going to be what makes you so unique and i'm going to answer it from somebody who had done my research (laughs) on you and i'm going to let you embellish because obviously you're a heck of a lot more intimate but as a user as somebody who came to your website checked out what it is what i will say is that you make being able to vent and needing to talk to somebody incredibly approachable. A very, it's, it, I mean, it's purple. Your website at, at prettypaddedroom.com, it's purple. It's frilly. You have an entire team of female therapists. Like, And the whole journaling aspect I thought was absolutely ingenious. I'm somebody who actually journals on my own little private thing online and it is incredibly therapeutic to be able to sort yeah. of get that toxic stuff out on a Definitely. regular basis. Absolutely. I always I always say that like if if anybody actually was able to like break into my journal they would think that I'm the most depressed person in the world <laughs> and the most angry person cuz that's where all the toxic stuff goes. But according to your particular Um, Where you've carved out something so unique is that you, I, as a potential user, literally just felt so, it was so easy. Like, okay, X amount of dollars for 30 minutes. How awesome is that that I can have access to anyone? And I told you this before we actually got on the call here today, which was uh, yesterday, I had a not so great day. I really had one of those days, you know, where you just feel like you're about to crawl out of your skin because you're so uncomfortable or you're so angry or you're so frustrated because you're just not... I'm going to speak for me. I was not performing at this 120 mm. miles per hour that I'm used to performing on and I'm kind of sucking at everything. That was my mm. day yesterday.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I was really just learning more about you. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Like this is exactly <laughs> what somebody like me and a, a lot of our listeners really need. And it's accessible and it's easy to use. So I'm going to sort of build you up right there. Because yeah. I don't even a- <laughs> know how to follow that. <laughs> from a user's perspective, I just loved the concept and I loved how easy you made it. So, you know, I guess talk a little bit. My question really would be with all the other telemedicine technologies out there, like when you came into the space, did you know that those existed or, you know, how did you build this little niche of comfort and approachability that you now have according to what else
1: was out there? first of all, thank you for being the best hype woman in the business. Because, <laughs> I you know, wouldn't say that, that if I didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah, no, no, you totally nailed it. I mean, that is literally the the, the alternative, and the the outlet that I wanted to create because there was a void and I felt like nobody was really addressing it in a meaningful way. When, so when I first came up with this idea, it was 2009 and when I googled online therapy there was like maybe one company at the time that there was just one random guy who was doing stuff on Skype and then there was live person and so they had therapy like by the minute and you you would it was like a little bit cluttered and then also but for the most part their site was being used for psychics so it was kind of like alright I believe in credential therapy but I do feel like it's intimidating and I felt like and I'm not ashamed to say I've been in New York 8 years and in that time I've had 5 therapists here and it's not always a good match so for the main thing I wanted to make it easy just as simple as possible just you go on you can see who you want to work with you can find a match based on your need and you can set the appointment right there because we always make excuses right like it's just like going to the yeah, you want to lose weight, but it, you'll never take those steps to get there. So, I really wanted to make it as easy and affordable as possible for you to get the support you needed when you need it. But also, best fit is the most important, especially when it comes to long term change. So, when I came up with the idea, I was just like, you know, I think people think it's really expensive, it's really intimidating. And I just wanted to, people to think about therapy differently. So, even with the name Pretty Patterned Room, everyone told me I was crazy and you should make it something safe and more positive. But at the same time, I had been talking to some people and I just the main message that was out there at the time was really this whole life coach aspect, the Oprah isms and be grateful or go meditate or take a walk. But I was like, I don't want to do any of that. Just like you're saying yesterday, like I don't feel like that. Like and what good is being grateful? I mean, I'm my main thing that I always tell my clients is that every emotion deserves equal respect. And if you're mad, there's a reason for that. There's something you can be taught there. And so I just really wanted people to be like, In a moment, like, let me vent. Let me get this out so I can move on with my life. And so I really like what the messaging and the purple... I also, for my last job before I left to do this company, I was a domestic violence counselor. And I just really liked the dynamic of being on an all-female team. Um, we created some really powerful partnerships and I, so I really wanted to keep up with that. And also just from a market perspective, about 69% of people who use psychotherapeutic services are women anyway. So I was like, let me just go narrow, go deep. This was created from a personal need. So this time, when I made the mistake with me time was I was just, I saw a need in a market that I didn't fully understand, but with Pretty padded Room, this is all me. Like I really wanted something like this so I created it designed around my needs and yeah there was lots of other people like me and, and nobody was really talking to them in a way that made sense and more importantly made them feel comfortable I don't want you to have to feel like you're lying down and you have to talk about your dad for nine years just to figure out whether or not you should quit your job let's just attack it and go after it in the way that really powerful strong women do
0: so you really deal with two pools of people really, and you were the sort of matchmaker between the two of them. So one pool of people are your actual clients, let's say people like me who want to come to your site to go have event session. And then the other pool of people are your actual therapists. So can you talk about your strategy? Who did you go and build first? Did you have, get the therapist first? Did you get the clients first? Like, What strategy did you use to sort of build those two pools of people?
1: People always ask that, and it's actually funny because getting therapists is not a problem. Over 500 people have applied to work on the site, and the reason is because I think that it's seen as a really prestigious position and really high paid position. But for the most part, most mental health counselors or, or social workers don't get paid very much. For example, for my last job, all of us at, had at least a master's and had to speak at least two languages, but we were getting paid 38000 and a year. Wow. and you know, yeah, and you're especially degree, in New York, that, that is not New- a lot, <laughs> it's not livable, and our degrees cost twice as much as that sometimes. So, like I said, I was working as a domestic violence counselor, and I just put it out there. All my friends are therapists, and so straight away I had at least five people to test the product with. So that wasn't an issue, but I also... For what we're offering, like you said, it, you really get it, and you know it's women-oriented, and we're really trying to address the needs and the emotional health of the modern woman. So I really wanted to offer a curated experience. So rather than just a bunch of people that you know, oh anxiety and depression, I really wanted to say no. This girl works with infertility issues. This girl works with emotional eating. This girl helps life transitions, job stress. Because I feel like the main issue why people don't keep up with therapy is that it takes a while to establish the bond and that trust. And I just wanted to make it like let's hit the ground running. Let's let's I know you you know me like I'm gonna put it out there that this is what I deal with so if you're ready let's get to work and so as far as getting the therapist I'm very picky about the people I choose that a lot of the women have been with me for more than a year I have a couple that have been with me from the very beginning they're really really great therapists and that's the thing when you start your own practice which is usually the next dress at the next step after coming out of agency work you are a salesperson and uh, most therapists are going to the helping professions because they're really helpful and nice. And, you know, I know therapists who are fantastic, who are doctoral level that are still charging $60 an hour. So because they're so good, I don't want them to have to work for free and work for those prices. So I really take care of my girls because they take care of me and they do excellent work with their clients. And then on the client end, yeah, as far as like getting clients, I Wanted to start a counseling company and I ended up running a tech platform with no background in programming. So I really wanted to scale really slowly this time. Like I said, I had me time and I was really nervous about making those same mistakes. So I just started doing word of mouth kind of things. One, My mentor at the time was Cindy Gallup, who's an amazing woman in advertising and also in the tech space. And she just posted it on her Facebook. She has lots of important friends. So one of them uh, was Shauna May of Aha Life and they posted it there. And then one of their competitors posted it. So it was really just. We were just going after the same population and they just were spreading the word for us. And then what we started to see was that when we asked how people found out about us, they'd be like, oh, my coworker told me or my sister said I have to try it. And and that's how we knew we had found a sweet spot. We were just like in the club. You know, this was like a really cool thing for people who just wanted to try it. But then it also went a little bit deeper. So that's how we got started. So you really, we really took our time to get our, to know our clients and our team's needs.
0: So. One of the things that I know is that you were still sort of working this day job while you were getting this company off the ground. Yeah. Can, you ta- <laughs> can you talk a little bit about why you chose to do that? And why you jumped in full time into the business when you did and perhaps not any earlier? this time I was really really
1: cautious the first time I was more cocky and I was really optimistic oh it'll just work out and you know I'm not gonna think about a plan B but what I learned the first time around with my company was that when you're really broke or stressed or in a panic state that's when you make bad decisions and so I really wanted to make sure at least rent wise that I, I wasn't gonna have to worry about being homeless because that's when you just start throwing money at the situation and you need a quick fix but I've learned there are no quick fixes it's just a mistake so I really want to make sure like like, there was some constant that at least made me feel safe so I could build on the foundation that we were working on. I was still working at my company while we were building this site. I'd have 42 clients during the week. I'd be going to family court and doing immigration affidavits for my clients. And then I'd go to Brooklyn. I, was, I worked with a woman-owned company, actually called Bell and Whistle, and I'd go to Brooklyn and work on wireframes and all the testing out different functionality and feature sets after that. And that was actually the most stressful, just building the site, because the first part was really fun, but it was also, there were so many decisions to make, and I was totally zapped by 6 o'clock, like as far as my bandwidth. But yeah, and so then when we launched... It just started getting, we got more and more press and finally we were in the New York Post and I just said, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it right. Nothing good ever happened, doing it part time. So I just decided to commit to it. And even then, I still think I probably should have worked a little bit longer because again, just because you're getting more press doesn't mean you're making more money. So I would encourage all your listeners to really, really make a plan about what that's going to look like. It's great to, you know, say, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to come in. I'm not going to look back. But in the meantime, bills have to be paid. And, you know, luckily my boyfriend was very help supportive. But um, yeah, no, I would definitely say be cautious if it's important to you and you care about it. You'll take the time to do it right.
0: What were some of the biggest mistakes that you made in those first couple of years in building out the business?
1: I would say, and I know a lot of first-time founders will feel this way, I was really greedy. Actually, maybe that's not the right word. I was really, really obsessed with making it work. And to that point, I didn't trust anybody. I wanted to do everything myself. I wanted to learn everything myself. I mean, I did all of our original legal work. I did that myself, just because I really wanted to know every aspect of it. Um, but. You know, there's a lot of, I will say there's no quick quick fixes, but when it comes to time and optimizing, you want to work smart, obviously, not hard. And there were so many things that I spent so much time on and trying to learn, where if, if you just defer to the experts, like I was trying to learn how to code, or I could just hire a programmer off Elance or something, what will take me six months to figure out will take them six hours. I would definitely say, if it's your baby, as much as you care about it, you can do everything you can try to do everything, but you just won't be able to do everything well. So I would say, you know, lose the reins a little bit, build out a team that you trust. And and that was definitely, as soon as I joined a coworking space, like I was full-time on my futon for a year after I quit my job and, and that was it. We, and we obviously grew very slowly. And as soon as I joined a coworking space and started talking to more people and started hiring people, I mean, it really scaled in a way that I was not expecting. Cause I just kept thinking like, how could somebody who's not here be more valuable than me and what I'm already doing? But, yeah, more hands, more time, more minds. It just makes for a better experience for everybody.
0: Now, you were so successful in building this company out, really believed in your concept, so much so that you got accepted to be on Shark Tank late last year. So. So, um, Did I? No, yes. yes. <laughs> um, and as a matter of fact, I was talking to my husband about who I was interviewing today and he's like, I remember her. Oh my gosh, oh that's so cool. <laughs> so I know that there's only so much you can really talk about with that, but I do want to ask a couple of questions because I think it's something that every entrepreneur really is so curious about, about what that experience is truly like. So first and foremost, can you just kind of give us an, uh, kind of a general overview of your experience there? Like kind of, you know, in succession, what happened? Like, were you ready for it? What was that like? Give us an overview.
1: Yeah, Shark Tank. So I actually taped in late. What? We're in 2014. I taped in 2012 so at September 2012, and then my my first episode aired on February of 2013. So about a year ago now, more than a year ago. And at the time when I applied, I actually got cast on Shark Tank, and I think this is a secret that I can tell. After casting was closed, and I didn't know anybody. Everyone always asks. I did, I just applied the regular way. Somebody posted it on Facebook and says they're looking for younger entrepreneurs this year, and I think I was like 28 at the time. So. So I was just like, okay, I'll do it. And somebody contacted me, and she goes, hi. So listen, today is my last job day on the job because they had just hired an outside casting company. And she's like, today's my last day on the job, and I won't be able to answer any other questions, but I'm going to email you all these things, fill it out, and then send it back. Nobody's going to reply. Just trust that it gets there. And I was like, oh, okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> like there was nobody to ask any questions. It was literally like three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and I was just like, "But well," she was like, "Yeah, just read it very carefully because again, this line will be disconnected." <laughs> like, okay, wow. yeah, and it was this huge thing. But my parents were big fans of the show. And I mean it's like a Bible you fill out and, and they and I got cast and, and actually it's a really long casting process. Like they really want to know, you know, what you're doing, what your story is. And the, the month that month I was actually we were featured as a website to watch an entrepreneur magazine. So I was like, I can do this, you know, like you know, I feel like the entrepreneurial journal, you doubt yourself a lot. Like you said, like you wanna be at one twenty all the time, but that's not how life works. And so I was really at a low point and because we got that boost through the magazine and the woman who interviewed us was so positive, she was like, This is unique Need to do this, and you need to stick with it because I was literally thinking about just shutting it down. And then Shark Tech came, and it was perfect. So I and I was looking for a team, and I was looking for a team of advisors and and more guidance and more money. More more importantly, so it came at the right time. And when we went, we were assigned two teams of producers, two two producers, I should say, and they're like coaches. And we did like eleven versions of my pitch and. You're out in that life for a week, and you're surrounded by other entrepreneurs who are all super supportive. So I will say, if anybody has seen the show, like if it looks like I was blindsided, it's because I was. I literally forgot until I hit my mark that I was like, oh yeah, this is Shark take. Like one of the first things that Kevin O'Leary said to me was like oh, what's the big deal? You must have low end therapists. And like, literally, you everyone's so excited. And in that moment, I was like, Oh, right, they're not supposed to be nice. and They're not supposed oh. to love me. I have to fight for this. So I was not prepared for I mean, I knew it was good. It could be unpleasant, but I was not prepared for how unprofessional it was. I mean, they really, you know, like ask you a lot of questions. And at least for my segment, it felt like the things that they didn't like didn't have anything to do with my company it was more like me and my you know how I was executing it and I was a solo founder at the time I will say I was just coming out of working from home all the time and kind of like a slump in my confidence so I really was grateful at least that it got me to snap out of it because same thing like I'm saying it, like if it's important to you you'll do it right and and, and I said you know by the time this airs I want to be in a totally different place and so that actually being on Shark Tank even though it didn't go well and I didn't get any money that was the actual moment that forced me to build out a team and which was the best decision I could have done for the company so no regrets at all
0: that's great what was the toughest question that you received during your session the toughest question or one that maybe just hit you in the gut with like oh crap I don't know that or oh my gosh the answer I'm gonna give is not what they want to hear like what was the, the toughest question
1: well, I think what we struggled with during my taping was that I, like I said, I I was more of an entrepreneur than I was like a tech, like a startup person at the time. So I had never done a pitch deck. I never pitched to investors. And the things they were asking for, predictive metrics, I didn't have. So like they were like, what are your cu- customer acquisition costs? And at the time, it was all word of mouth. I hadn't paid a dime for marketing or anything. I'm like, well, it's free. Like, you know, there there are no customer acquisition costs. They're like, well, that's ignorant. And I'm like, but it, but it's true. You know, and I had numbers. And just like, what's the lifetime value of your customer? Well, you know, the way therapy works, people start and stop. I was just up there answering questions, but they wanted more specific metrics. And and I did give them performance metrics, but they didn't like them. And I'm just kind of like, I don't have time to do accounting. And when my developers in Pakistan and I have a client in Dubai and my therapist in Arizona. That wasn't what took up the most of my day. And, and what I realized is I was thinking about it more as a passion project than a proper business. So again, that did refocus me to be like, okay, like these are things that matter to investors. And if you're going to approach an investor, they'll only care about your story and your passion so much. You really have to back it up with the infrastructure. So there was a couple moments where they were like, what is this? Or what do you see yourself doing in five years? Like, do you want to do an acquisition or an IPO? And I was like, um, I just want to be happy. You know? <laughs> like, like, it was really, I, you know, it was like, uh, you, I don't know. It was, I, I barely remember now. I really blacked out. It was pretty traumatic actually. But, um, but it, yeah, sounds,
0: it, <laughs> it sounds like even though it was very rough in that sense, it sounds like out of it came a lot of really good things. This idea to really truly build out a team, really the commitment to really build a foundational structure underneath the business. So that sounds like they were all really positive for you.
1: They, and I will say that they were all kind of like, but you know, you have all this stuff, and you've gotten a little bit, you know, like you really need to do it right. Just take it seriously. And I think that a lot of female entrepreneurs, even like you know, who aren't even businesswomen, because in my practice I see it all the time. There's this thing we discuss called the fraud complex, the and you know, like the, the fraud, the fraud, fraud, like an imposter complex. Gotcha. I've had a client actually say to me, she's like, I feel like at any moment, somebody's going to kick the door in and be like, you don't know what you're doing, you know? And I definitely think that at the time I was kind of like, well, you care about this and maybe it's a lifestyle business, but I was like, no, I do believe this could be a million dollar company. And that looks different. Like my day to day looks different if I'm going to build it into that. So yeah, it was a real wake up call. So yeah, I'm totally, fine. I still got to get the message. I'm learned to explain it differently than I did at the time. So yeah, no, no hard feelings at all. And they were very sweet about it. They were like, listen, you got it. You just need have to do more work. And you know, you feel like you're working all the time already. But like I said, just work smarter, not harder.
0: That's great. And now fast forward, you really are on track to be at 800,000 in revenues this year. So you're not too far away from that million dollar business, not that much farther after your your show on Shark Tank. So yeah, congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that.
0: So, how uh, the other impact? I really want to know what impact did Shark Tank and, and the exposure on on Shark Tank have for your business?
1: Um, yeah, it was really great. So, a lot of people. So, I think that first night of the airing, and I was so nervous because again. I did not know what they were going to tape. I was up there for like 40 minutes and the actual segment is maybe six or seven minutes. So I was really nervous and I wanted to be tweeting along with it. And, you know, I only had three people with me because, you know, you're not allowed to tell anybody that you're on the show. But so, like I said, the edit turned out much better than I thought, like better than what I remember anyway. And at that first night, we got like 33,000 hits. And then after that, throughout the week, it was like 15,000 hits. And it just, I mean, like Alexis, who's been with me from the very beginning, she made more like that week than she had. The entire previous year. <laughs> it was wow. insane. This is one yeah. of your therapists yeah this is one of the therapists on my site like literally maybe not the week but in the months she definitely like i mean it was crazy and what i went on the show for was money so i could hire an in-house developer and i didn't get that so again there was kind of a missed opportunity because the site still wasn't functioning optimally but we still were able to retain a lot of it because i do have a really talented team and we had a lot of clients who were willing to work around some of the bugs at the time but since then now that the platform stabilized there was a re-airing this summer there was a rerun in, in june and so since then you know we've kind of recaptured some of that traffic and just other things since then. I've been in Marie Claire magazine we're in Cosmo this month Daily Candy, Fast Company so that didn't, mess. well Fast Company called me the comeback kid after my Shark Tank experience and which I feel like we have done. So I can't, like I said, I can't be mad at them at all.
0: I want to talk about two types of marketing strategy that you have now. Obviously, in the very beginning, it was this free kind of word of mouth marketing strategy. Now with larger PR exposure, you're definitely getting people coming in there. But this is a two part question. Number one, what strategies are you using and that are very effective for you actually getting people to come to you? And number Mm -hmm. two, what strategies are you using on the back end to keep them and or make sure that? As you you discussed earlier, people who are interested in therapy sort of come for a little while and then leave for a little while and then come back a little while. So can you talk about both of those pools as far as how you're marketing to new potential clients and then Mm, how you're keeping your current
1: clients? Yeah. So with the traffic new clients, as far as our user acquisition channels, one thing that we did at the beginning, you know, everybody says, you know, use social media and get on Twitter and all that stuff. But that's great. And you can tweet to your blue in the face, but it doesn't matter if nobody is looking at your Twitter handle. So we did that for a while to like very little success. And then what we realized is after we got the daily candy feature, like why not piggyback off other people's audiences? That way it's more like somebody vouches for us because it's like that in real life therapy too. It's kind of like, okay, well, you seem cool, but I don't know. How's this going to be before? I pay money. So what we did is we started partnering with people in the women's lifestyle space. Our target market is women in their 20s and 30s. And so like I started doing guest posts for eFlirt Expert. I was pitching everybody. Blogs I read, you know, I was like, Where does my where do my clients spend their time? Are they on New York magazine? Are they on Jezebel? So we just do a lot of guest posts. We get people to in their newsletters give us a mention or a shout-out. And again, not paying, but just like doing something for them. Those blogs that are really popular are always looking for content. So we just kind of piggybacked on other people's partnered with eFlearn Expert and Urban Girl Squad here in New York. And so that was really helpful just as far as like getting brand awareness out there because people need to trust you in order for you to have real traction. As far as keeping our clients, it really is about the team. My job as the CEO is just to, you know, market the hell out of the site and get the people to come. And then I just let my girls do their magic. And so you know I'm always like teaching them best techniques. You know, people are really shy online, especially with something like therapy, there's kind of a Wizard of Oz thing going on. People are like, okay, who is the other person on the other side so I always make you know encourage them to reach out first send a blog post that they've written just introduce themselves so it feels like there's an immediate connection something else when I'm looking for a good therapist on the site is somebody who when I speak to them you can because it takes a while to build trust but somebody you feel immediately comfortable with so you know just reach out ask if there's anything they'd like to discuss before the session and what we do because we see people usually start to feel better or have more resolution on their presenting issue around like three four months so we also send updates have you noticed that in the last three months you know These, we don't say, I say within clinical terms, so we don't, we'll never say something like these symptoms have been reduced. But you know, you're talking about your ex boyfriend a lot less, you're hanging out with your friends more, like here's what I recommend you would work on going forward, things like that. And they really feel taken care of through this, really just through the internet, something that's supposed to be super seedy. They feel really taken care of and really bonded to my team. So we just do our best to really make it feel like a relationship rather than a transaction.
0: What are some of the unique challenges that you have as a therapy company? Meaning, you've got HIPAA going on. I mean, you've Girl. got you've got a lot of yeah. really unique. Let, let's call them standards challenges, challenges, <laughs> whatever they are. I mean, there are sort of certain elements that you have to think of at, in your business model that no other company might have to. So, can you talk a little bit about what those things are and how you've really dealt with those in your business?
1: Yeah. So this is still a new industry. I mean, telemedicine, even though like the idea has been out there, there's still a lot of a gray area. So for example, like there's less regulation actually for international client, like counselor client relationships than there are for interstate counselor client relationships. We've had clients in 29 states. We've had clients in 14 countries. And the main issue is time zone issues, security issues. Everything with heart bleed right now, especially in particular with something like therapy, we like to say we go, we target people who want therapy, not people who need therapy. So sometimes. So you do get someone who's like suicidal or someone who has like a a real drug or alcohol issue. And this method of treatment is not for them because, you know, in case of crisis, then it's kind of like, okay, well, we can't be there and we don't want to be responsible for that. And And it's not responsible or ethical in general. So it's really hard sometimes if somebody writes in and they're just kind of like, I just don't trust my mother and I don't know what else to do and, you know, having to turn them away. But it's better for them in the long run. It's really hard to reject somebody in a vulnerable moment like that. But first of all, just the legal issues, we really can't risk it. All of our therapists, you know, are risking their license and independently insured. So we really have, to. there's a delicate balance as far as taking care of people across state lines.
0: What's your protocol for that? Like, will you find sort of a, let's say, a suicide hotline in their particular area and, and hook them up with that? Like, you'll find them some resources. You're not just saying, sorry, we can't help. Like, are you actively doing something for them?
1: Yeah, and what happens is because the therapist, you know, like, you know, if they're not going to get paid for it, I always step in, me personally, like, obviously, they'll, they'll CC the help desk, but they'll also BCC me, and I'll directly write to the person just so they know, like, it's not you, you know, like, this is what happens. So if it's something like suicide, you know, like, I, I like to make a little recommendation, just a quick, just a quick consultation with them, you know, like, have you thought of a plan, for example, and things like that, you know, just to determine the level of severity, because sometimes it's not even that severe. Like, somebody's just like, I can't take it anymore, or, like, I can't do this anymore. I just I. I Wish I didn't have these, because most people when they're feeling suicidal don't actually want life to end; they just want their perceived problems to stop. So sometimes I'll just do a quick check, like even after a breakup, you feel like you're going to die, but I just want to tend to them in that moment. And then what we'll do, obviously, the National Suicide Hotline is actually very good, and when you call, they're normally in your region. After that, and especially in like cases of like actual personality disorders and mood disorders, they do need in-person treatment. They they should have a comprehensive healthcare team. So I recommend, and this is a big shout out because we do a lot of work with them, 1-800-LIFENET, L-I-F-E-N-E-T. And what that does is you can call them from anywhere. You can tell them your budget, whether or not you have insurance, what specific issues you're looking to work with, whether it's like couples counseling or if you have an eating disorder or whatever. And they will give you three referrals in your area, in your budget for your specific needs. You can also do it online. Again, it's still a relationship. We're not like, oh, sorry, girl, bye. We'll still take the steps to find you what you need because if if we're not what you need, we still want to make sure that you're good going forward
0: how do you manage client expectations has there ever been an issue where your clients just aren't happy with that particular therapist or maybe they need to switch therapists and go to a different one or they're just not happy with the services at all like how do you manage what their expectations should be and how do you mitigate any potential hiccups that you're going to have there
1: when you're in a business consumer environment you can't control the variable of human behavior or especially if people are in a mood or a funk but for the most part we don't have issues I think by the time they come to us like they're ready to do the work and all my girls are super sweet so I mean if anything like if somebody ever needs to change a therapist which happens and again like when I first started this I was really you know had bad luck with the kind of therapist that I was choosing it just wasn't a good fit so we say yeah just let us know reassign your account let us know if we can transfer your notes just so you can again don't have to because that's a big pain in therapy too, and in person. Like if it isn't a good match, you have to find a new therapist. You have to start and tell your whole story all over again. People will write in and say, "Oh, you know, so and so was nice, but I think I'd rather work on these issues." Or she made up some points that maybe I should see a specialist about these particular issues. And, and so we have no problem. There's 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 never an issue with that at all. As far as people getting upset to manage expectations, we have a pre-session intake form. Well, it's an uh, the clinical term is an intake, but we call it a pre-session info form, so it's not cr- scary sounding. And we always say, what are you hoping to get out of this session? What would you like your therapist to know about you before you start this session? Because, you know, we have 30 and 60 minute sessions, or you can stack them as long as you want. We have people who do 90 minute sessions too. But we want to make sure you get the most out of your time. And people are very shy at first when it's hard to say hard things out loud. But we really want to make it clear that it's a safe space. We can just go for it. We don't have to do the getting, you know, we can just go for it. But sometimes people are upset about the price or we never want to add financial stress to emotional stress. You can always down. You don't have to keep up with the subscription. You can downgrade to pay as you go. We really don't have that many problems. I'm trying to, like, there was one issue where we just deployed a new round of fixes to the site and it didn't, some girl had just downgraded to, from a subscription plan to pay as you go and it didn't go into effect. The system didn't register and she was still charged and she wrote and she was like, now my account is negative, blah, blah, blah. This is really bad. So I stepped in. I mean, I, again, like I would rather get bad feedback than no feedback because if somebody is having this issue on the site, that means it's affected another account. And there are people who will just not come back. We'll lose that client and we won't know why. So if somebody's upset, I'm, I'm okay. I've been yelled at before. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I, you know, I'm not scared of being yelled at or somebody being mad at me so I'm like okay let's talk it out and, and we got the information so I could do a direct refund so it was I was like yeah we'll cover any overdraft fees no problem and it was so funny because to the help desk she was really really upset but once I stepped in and, you know I think again putting a face to a name like people are much kinder and much more patient when you know you're talking to a real person rather than a faceless company that's why you know with my team you can see who they are you can see what they studied you can watch a video to know what it's going to be like to hang out with them and when things get really rough I'll just step in and be like well what? What's going on? Let's talk about it. And it was so funny. We actually got on the phone so we could transfer the information. And she was like, No, I actually saw you on Shark Tank. And it was because of that segment that I actually signed up. And I was five months ago, I wasn't able to leave my house because of anxiety. But working with Amanda, Amanda's one of our therapists has really changed my life. And I feel really bad. Because you know, like, it's you, the person I'm talking to now. like I'm, I'm upset, at, but I can't be because it's good. I'm like, girl, don't even worry about it. But it was, it was a wow. really nice reminder. Yeah. it was a re- I mean, as much as that was a huge pain and I felt really bad, it was a nice human reminder of why I'm doing this. And, you know, again, like once you fluff them down, it, it's totally fine. So she was really sweet about it. She was like, I feel really bad. I'm like, don't feel bad. We messed up. It's our bad. But she was like, just so you know, it's a really good thing, and I'm really glad to talk to you. She was like, don't ever stop it. And like, that was great. She was really sweet.
0: It's those moments when you can fix something, a client moment where a client or a customer is just really, really angry, really upset, something just didn't go right. And I think there's so much to be said about being willing to step up and interact with the client and make it right, whatever you need to do to make it right. And usually 99% of that time, that client or customer becomes a lifelong client or customer because now you've taken the time to actually show them hey you're you're worth it. I will fix whatever needs to get fixed. My bad, we're human. things mess up every once in a while. So sorry about that. What do we need to
1: do to make it right, and they feel really taken care of so exactly, you want to take care of them yeah i' I'm not, I don't need your twenty bucks worth. I'm not gonna try and like trick you into staying with me through your money. No, it's no problem. The goal of this is to make you feel better, so I don't want to do anything that makes you feel bad.
0: B, what do you think? One of the biggest surprises that you've come across about owning your own company—like, what is one of the things that's really most surprised you about being a businesswoman?
1: Oh God, I was just telling somebody this the other day. I was doing some mentoring at the Startup Institute in Lower Manhattan, and it was so funny. There was somebody there who was like, who didn't have an idea for a company, but they did. They said, "I've just always wanted to have my own business. I've always wanted to be my own boss, and I really don't want to answer to anybody." And I told her, I was like. Um, it's kind of the opposite. Like being your own boss is one thing, but when when you run your own company, you answer to everybody. You answer to your employees. You answer to your clients. You answer to your vendors, to your investors. Like I always say, I get yelled at first and I get paid last. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) it is no joke. Like I mean, if you if I I mean especially like the second year, you know, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep, and I'm like, well. If I can't sleep, it's because of this issue, so I might as well work on it now. So I'm talking about like 3 a.m. emails. People, there'll be some people that'll be like, what were you doing at 3 a.m.? And I was like, I was working. I always thought that if I would working so hard so we'll kind of level off and eventually be manageable. But it doesn't stop ever being hard, I don't think. I think it just changes form. I think you're able to deal with a lot more and, and your tolerance is a lot higher. I mean, I used to come undone after every bad email, every bug that happened. I would come and un- like cry and just not be able to get up. But now, I mean, especially now that I've hired my team, like they'll freak out. They're like, "Oh no, this means this." I'm like, "Girl, don't even worry about it. I mean, like it'll be fine. We're gonna talk to you. you know." I just don't. I'm not as reactionary as I used to be, which is a great lesson for me personally, anyway. But yeah, you really have to be tough. You have a lot. Have to have a lot of stamina because I think people think they're just gonna start and they're gonna be making money. It takes a long time to make money, and so you really have to be in it for the long haul. So I'll definitely say you need a lot of stamina and a lot of strength and you really need a thick skin. So don't just start it to make money because the truth is you don't make money for a very long time. (laughs) You'll you'll never work so hard for so little. That was the best piece of advice I got before I started. And I did it anyway because I'm an idiot. So (laughs) here we are. (laughs)
0: Dorian Howard, who is on episode two, who owns MilkAndHoneyShoes.com, Awesome company. Build your own shoes. Very, very Ooh, cool. La, 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 la. She okay. she talked about the fact that every entrepreneur has to be a little crazy. Like you really, truly <laughs> have to have a certain element of craziness to believe that the impossible yeah. is possible. Like you just have to have it and you sort of have to walk through that gauntlet and that experience oh and come out on the other end to really be successful.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I will say totally. Everybody I know who like has their own company and is in it for, is a little bit off. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tiny bit. They'll say something, and you'll be like, "Huh," you know, because but they have to see things super differently. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's tough. But I will say, for me having failed the first time, I would not have been able to get the company this far if I hadn't experienced that full range of feelings because you feel all the feelings all day long, different hours, different minutes of the day. So yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it's yeah, a rough ride, but it's, it's a good life.
0: As you've evolved as a businesswoman throughout these years and throughout these experiences, have there been any books that you have read that really have just totally made a difference in how you approach your companies?
1: The book that I read before I started my company was actually given to me by Cindy, who's my mentor. I don't have much time to read anymore, but a book that I read is The Art of the Start by Guy Kawasaki who was one of the original members of the Apple team when they first started, and it's great. And I think even if you want to start a product-oriented business, it's really helpful because it really teaches you to like kind of strip away all the stuff and the fluff and the just make money because that's all your business is. Your passion will only get you so far. Really, really solid advice about how to talk to people, how to bootstrap, because everybody, it's nice to get investors, but for the most part, you're going to be bootstrapping. So I would definitely recommend that. Another, for not books, but I read Quora a lot just because it's Q-U-O-R-A. Do you know that? website? I do not, no. Oh my god, I'm obsessed with Quora. I, I mean, it's actually helped me a lot with my practice too, because what it is, it's just kind of like, I guess it's like Wikipedia, but it's it's a kinder, I like to say it's a kinder place on the internet. People just ask questions like, what's it like to have your dog die? What's it like to kill a man? Like, what's it like to not be attracted to your partner anymore? Just all these very honest questions. And people answer them honestly, like there's sometimes actual experts on the topic. And so it's really interesting to see Human behavior and like the human response, because as much as we would like to be logical and approach things logically and calmly, people just we're not like that at all. Humans are the most irrational. We're actually the only animal that doesn't trust our instincts. So it's really good to understand how people work if you're going to be in a people business. So I would say Quora has actually been really, really helpful. Oh, that's great. Sure.
0: That's great. And there will be links for both Quora and the business book that you had mentioned in the, the Art show of notes. The start. Yes, the Art of the Start, Guy Kawasaki, and the links for all of those will be in the show notes for you, Be One of the things that I'm really dying to know is what is it that keeps that fire inside of you burning? Like through all these ups and downs, why do you get up every day? Like what is it inside of you that really lights that fire?
1: I don't want to do anything else with my time. I don't want to do anything. I, I'm obs- I'm literally, if if you're gonna do anything, you kind of have to be obsessed with it. And you know, like I said, it's really tough. But I mean, I thought about stopping or selling the company. I've had a couple of offers, but I don't know what else I would do. And also, like I still remember what it was like when I first had in that moment when I was just so lonely. And I know what it's like to feel like you don't have anybody to talk to and you need somebody to talk to. And again, I read, you know, some of our you know, our emails that go out and we get some really, really lovely testimonials from people. We've helped people through their fathers' funerals, through divorces or breakup, helped people get better jobs and that I don't care if I get shut down tomorrow. That means so I will like die with a light in my heart for that. I mean, honestly, like it gets me. I, it's a really poor choice of words, but it gets me high. Even now, I'm really excited. That that's what I get to do. Like I'm not that close to it. The therapists do it, but I, I love my therapists, and I love they get to. I get, I'm gonna get emotional. They get to make money for doing really great work for people. You know, and I'm not sappy. Like oh, I get to help people, but I mean, that's like tangible change in the world that my team is responsible for. From an idea that I had when I felt. The lowest in my life. And I i mean, yeah, I, that's, that's what I get to do. I get to do that all day. And yeah. So I just, got go- <laughs> I just got goosebumps. That's great. Uh, okay? <laughs> I'm like, don't cry.
0: No, I, you know, I just, I really appreciate the authenticity in that because I am very, very lucky that every single guest on this show has that same fire they really truly want to make an impact in this world in their small little niche or totally globally and I think every rock star businesswoman is the one who truly just has that like they just keep on going through those ups and downs and and they really truly want to make an impact on others and so I really appreciate you being authentic about that I think that's very true
1: thank you yeah I really
0: care so I want to conclude this conversation by asking you, what is your vision for the future? What do you see? What direction do you want to go? What is in store for you in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about the next few years, actually. So we're just entering year four. And we're fundraising. This has been crazy. I've been, I've, before we were making enough money where I could like pay myself and it was fine. But again, that was before I, I made two full time hires. So now I'm fundraising and going back and forth to San Francisco and that is exhausting. But once we close this round, I'll be able to do a couple more hires and I really want to blow it out. Like I said, I, we we're piggybacking on other people's content, but I really have a unique voice. I want to frame like current events and pop culture through a psychological perspective. So I really want to build out our blog. And also, even though I'm obviously I'm very women oriented, We've had so many, I mean we have so many male clients that have to go through a lot of purple just to have (laughs) access to our team. So I want to build a sister site I've been working on for a long time called Safe Space. Uh, we've been working on that forever. I just want it to be a more mainstream thing. I really like Pretty Padded Room as a boutique service for, you know, women, but um I so we're working on a sister site because we've learned so much. We're really really close in this industry and a, a lot of people have come and gone and, and we're still enduring and growing, but more importantly. So I really want to really blow it out with Safe Space and we also want to take it. we don't take insurance at the moment, but we want to add third party payers to make it easier for some people. I would love to be in colleges and universities. Universities. Um, so we're working with my alma mater, Columbia University Health Human Resources departments. We have an MPI number for Veterans Affairs because distance counting is becoming really important for them because army bases are in random podunk towns and it's hard to keep up with your appointments. So I'd really just like to really be the market leader for this space. And so that's what we're focusing on, on and really book, we've had a lot of projects on ice for a long time because we didn't have the resources. So once we close this round, we're really going to attack it and go after it. So I'm really excited about this next year actually. Well, B, I I really,
0: really, really want to thank you so much for being on the show, being so candid about your business experience and so many little nuggets of wisdom peppered all throughout this conversation. So thank you so much for bringing all of that to this community today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I I mean, this community has been really, really good to me. I've never met, people say women are catty, but I've never, ever had anybody who was nothing less than extremely supportive and extremely resourceful and wise. So I'm really glad to get back to the community and yeah, be in touch with me. Anybody who has any questions, I'm an open book. You can go to BRArthurTherapy.com and write me from there. And thank you, Katie. This was really fun. Good. So thank you so I know, much. I had a blast.
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> The show notes for today are at BizWomenrock.com forward slash 82. Absolutely loved that conversation with B. And the biggest takeaway that I got from her was a quote that she said about every emotion deserves its equal attention. And I thought that was very pertinent, especially for all of us who are going through what feels like very, very wild rides of business. Lots of high highs, lots of low lows, and a lot of emotion in between. So I hope you really took a lot of solace in that. I hope you really enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'll see you up on social media with all of those great short graphics that you can get at bizwomenrock.com. See you on the next episode.